0: Thousands of two-headed turtles, schools of dead fish, and a real-life Godzilla. That's what you'll find in the Pacific Ocean right now, if you are to believe Chinese disinformation. After Japan began to trickle treated wastewater from its Fukushima nuclear plant on August 24th, China imposed a ban on all Japanese seafood imports. Ever since, China's state media has pumped out a flood of one-sided reports about the dangers and China's nationalist netizens have spread them. This week, we're taking you inside a Chinese Communist Party disinformation campaign. We'll see how it starts, cascades, and ripples through society. I'm Alice Su, the Economist's Senior China Correspondent, and this week I'm joined by my colleague Ted Plafker, our China Correspondent in Beijing. We're asking, what does China's government gain from people's outrage at the wastewater from Fukushima? This is Drum Tower, from The Economist. Ted, hello. Welcome to Drum Tower.
2: Hi, Alice. Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So David is on the road this week, but I'm very happy to have you here because, Ted, you have been in Beijing for how many decades now?
2: Three decades and a bit. It's been over 34 years now.
0: Amazing. I mean, that explains why you have fans including our Drum Tower listeners. Some of them have written to us asking to give you a shout out. And they're people who lived in China quite a while ago. So it speaks to your (laughs) long lasting influence, I guess.
2: (laughs) Well, that's nice to hear. Nice to have fans. Um, (laughs) I've been hearing from people, too, asking how come I haven't been a Drum Tower yet. So I'm very glad to be here.
0: Well, today's the day. And I'm really glad you're here to talk about this outrage over the Fukushima wastewater. So, Ted, have you been out for any sushi in Beijing recently?
2: Well, I'm actually a vegetarian, so I'm not the sushi guy, oh. <laughs> but I love Japanese food. I've been with friends eating sushi. Really, you can't go out for a meal in Beijing in the last couple of weeks without someone asking if the fish is going to glow in the dark.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can see that even from the outside because we see you know, a lot of official statements about it. We see videos on Chinese media. But I was curious to know, is this something that people are talking about offline, even in your circles?
2: Absolutely. It remains a topic. People are still wondering whether seafood is safe to eat. There's a little bit less ranting and raving now, two weeks after the initial release. I have some friends who have VPNs, have access to other sources of information. They can see out of the Chinese internet bubble. But the vast majority of people don't have VPNs, can't see out, and really have nothing else to go on except what they've been hearing from state media and what that in turn has generated on social media. And it's made them very angry, it's made them afraid. Usually it's hard to get people in Beijing, increasingly these days, to share their opinions on any topic, especially a sensitive topic. But these last couple of weeks, anyone I talk to casually on the streets of Beijing does not for a second hesitate to tell me how angry they are and how worried they are. It's really unleashed a huge deluge of outrage.
0: It seems like such a clear example of how the state sets the agenda and through its control over the information sphere. And this is not the only example, right? In your time in Beijing, you must have seen many cycles of this sort of disinformation and outrage.
2: Oh, many examples, some running for decades. The Taiwan story is one example. The state pushes its narrative about the history of Taiwan. You can blow people's minds here by telling them a few fun facts about the actual history of Taiwan. In the case of COVID, the media spread a lot of information, some based on kernels of truth, but exaggerated and tendentious about how the U.S. was handling COVID. This latest one, it is a very clear example of how effectively disinformation can be used. There's a lot to work with here. Nuclear waste is a real concern to a lot of people. There are a lot of other people in East Asia who are worried about this wastewater release. But in China, where people, for the most part, are getting one side of the story driven by a government with a real ulterior agenda.
0: So, Ted, let's rewind a few weeks and go back to August 24th when this all began. Tell me what happened.
2: What happened on August 24th was the first release of a small batch of treated wastewater from the Fukushima plant. TEPCO, who operate the plant, got approval from the Japanese government and from IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, that's the United Nations nuclear watchdog. The release plan had been announced in 2021, and the release date was announced earlier this year. It's a release that's going to carry on in small batches for the next 30 years. No one loves the idea that any amount of nuclear wastewater is being released, but it's been treated through an exhaustive process. It's minuscule amounts. IAEA says the radiological impact on humans and the environment is negligible. We quoted a scientist a few months back who said that a lifetime consumption of fish caught right off of Fukushima wouldn't add up to the amount of radioactivity in a banana. Wow. (laughs) So it raises the question, you know, why is China freaking out this way? Why is China ignoring the overwhelming scientific consensus and turning this into such a hot button issue?
0: I see. So, I mean, the experts are pretty clear about this, and it seems like most other countries have come around. Why is China reacting in such a strong way?
2: Yeah, the consensus is very strong. There are some dissenting voices, some scientists who mostly are not complaining about the plan, but warning that the long-term impact of this sort of thing its never been done before, so they don't have data on the long-term impact. It's that sort of super cautious scientific approach. But the broad consensus that Chinese people are not hearing about is that it's very safe. That's where the disinformation campaign comes in. China was opposed to the plan of releasing water all along. But once they realized that it was happening and the date was announced and they realized they couldn't do anything about it, they really ratcheted up the disinformation campaign. They announced the seafood ban and they started with this all out attack on Japan and the plan and raising fears about the safety of seafood.
0: And you could see that a lot of Chinese people reacted with a lot of fear and outrage. Right, Ted? I mean, give me some examples of what you've been seeing.
2: Okay, Alice, here's one clip I found on Weibo, uh, China's main social media site of a young Chinese vlogger called Nado Nai, Nai Quite interesting. I think you should have a look.
0: Wow, okay, so basically this vlogger Nado nainai. She's this young girl. She has like a bow in her hair and a fancy earring on one side. And she's saying, I'd like to ask, how is such a despicable act like Japan dumping nuclear wastewater in the ocean any different from someone peeing in the public pool? And she says they go even a step further and they take a sip from that water and say, oh, come on and join us. So, I mean, she is making very strong comparisons there.
2: Yeah, and there's been a lot of that. I've seen other videos talking about the vocabulary. Japan calls it treated water. China calls it contaminated water. And there's a whole war of words going on over exactly what kind of water this is. Is it feishui or wushui or chulishui, treated, waste, or contaminated?
0: Yeah, and I've also seen videos all over Douyin, for example, which is the original Chinese version of TikTok, like this one. There's a woman who says she's in Japan and she's in the supermarket and she's pointing at the seafood and saying, look at how it's discounted. It's discounted, but no one wants to buy it. And this shows that even Japanese people are afraid to eat Japanese seafood. So there's just all kinds of videos and messaging out there saying this is so bad. People are so scared, even if that may. Not necessarily be true. And so you can see that online, Chinese people are getting really worked up. They're using very strong language. And in part, they're echoing strong language that they hear from the Chinese government.
2: Yeah, the language that the Chinese government is using has been very tough. Alice, you can have a listen to this press conference given by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on
0: August 24th. So that is the... Mofa spokesperson, Geng Shuang, and he is condemning the release of the Fukushima wastewater. He says Japan shouldn't be doing something for their own selfish interests that's damaging to people around the world. He goes on to say that the Japanese government has not proven that this is safe and that this is not going to harm the environment or people's health. And then he says by dumping water into the ocean, Japan is spreading these risks to the rest of the world. It's creating an open wound to be passed on to future generations of humanity, he says Japan has turned itself into a saboteur of the ecological system and polluter of the ocean.
2: Yeah, that's strong stuff. And that's directly from the government itself. And then you have the state run media going into overdrive along the same lines. I drive around Beijing a lot and put on the car radio. And for days, that was all that you heard on the car radio and headlines in the papers and on the state run TV stations. So it's part of the state apparatus. It's not the government itself. It's the state managed media, party managed media that are reinforcing the same message. So for example, there's a clip that circulated on Weibo from CCTV one, the main state television broadcaster.
1: 還要追問的是日本能夠確保長達30年的排放管理不犯錯不失誤嗎? 那個就,while wow, you listen to that
0: very, very creepy, creepy suspenseful music, then you hear this I announcer saying hey. Can Japan really guarantee that they will manage this 30 years of distribution well without making any mistakes? Can they guarantee that they will do it effectively? Can they truly be trusted with sampling and monitoring the release? And then she says, based on Japan's past behavior, I believe everyone knows the real answer to that. So there's a real judgment being made here. And she's, you know, referring to what everyone should already know, which I think in the Chinese context is based on Japan's past behavior. Like they are bad actors. They are not to be trusted. I don't even need to say it. You will all know if I just insinuate it.
2: Yeah, Japan's past behavior is a phrase that's really at the heart of this whole thing. And that's content that came from state media. Mm -hmm. Okay, Alice, I have to show you this video made by CGTN. It's a state-run English-language TV channel. It's something they posted. The song is in English. Get yourself ready. Take a deep breath, because this is really something. Okay.
0: The radiation makes life mutate. All living things are gonna meet their fate. Many are protesting to stop my play, but I don't give a damn to what
2: they say. <laughs> Sorry, wait, what?
0: <laughs> this is quite a production. I mean they invested a lot of a lot of creative thought into this. So basically there is the lead singer is this man who's pretending to be a Japanese nuclear worker. He's wearing this like bright orange suit and a construction hat. And he's telling the story about how he decided to let this water out into the ocean because it's cheap and it's easy, but it's going to harm people. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. And then he does this like very strange Dance? I don't know if that's supposed to be like a, a Japanese dance.
2: I'm not sure either. I think my favorite part is where he does this blazing guitar solo on some kind of a huge fish. Oh, yeah, There's a big blue <laughs> fish that turns into a guitar. It's very weird stuff.
0: Yeah, I think it's mutated, so it's electric.
2: It is electric. Yeah. Right, so with this one from CGTN, you can see how the state media gets directly involved in creating this kind of viral, catchy content that's largely baseless. Some of the accusations in there are just totally outlandish.
0: Yeah, and what goes viral in China is never an accident, right? Because social media is a platform that anyone can post on, but It's manipulated and it's controlled by the state. They can delete things they don't like. They can make things trend if they want to, right?
2: Yeah, they have direct levers on uh, both ends of the equation. They can take content down. They can close accounts, delete accounts. In some cases, they can knock on the door of someone and take them away if what they posted was really out of line. But they're entirely capable of keeping stuff that they do want up and emphasizing it and boosting it and helping it go viral. They have very, very clear, direct control over where the narrative goes.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've been looking at all these kind of sometimes a little bit out there videos, but there are also a lot of rational voices in China that are very serious about understanding what scientists and experts say. Have you come across any voices like that?
2: There have been a few. You hear a lot more about two-headed turtles than you hear from rational scientists. One that we came across is a scientist named Li Jianmang, a former nuclear physicist who now lives in the Netherlands. And he posted on Weibo That the discharge of this treated water, quote, isn't worth worrying about, unquote. Mm -hmm. These comments were quickly deleted. His account was canceled within three hours of his posting. That seems like a pretty measured comment from a well-informed person that ought to enter into the debate. But someone decided that wasn't worthy of leaving online.
0: Yeah. And I think that is what really sets the China case apart from the rest of Asia, because... To be clear, Chinese people aren't the only ones who are alarmed by this nuclear wastewater, right? And it's understandable. In other countries nearby, especially in South Korea, people have been really worried and opposed to this. In Seoul, there was a protest of about 50,000 people who were calling on the government to take action because they didn't want Japan to release the wastewater either. But what's different about the China case is that They are censoring the voices on the other side, the voices that are saying, yeah, we understand the worries, but let's listen to the scientists.
2: Yeah, that's right. The more measured voices aren't allowed into the debate. And in the case of Korea, there has been a public reaction and the opposition party has made an issue of it. But the Korean government has actually endorsed the plan. When I tell Chinese friends here that the Korean government has supported the plan, they're astonished.
0: Oh, really? They don't know about it? No. Hmm. So, Ted, I mean, to really understand why some Korean people and Chinese people, even some Japanese people, do have legitimate worries about the wastewater, we need to go back 12 years, which is when this all really began and when the Fukushima nuclear plant suffered a meltdown. Do you remember when that happened?
2: Yes, of course. It was very scary. There was an earthquake which led to a tsunami. They lost power They couldn't run their pumps and reactors were swamped. Three of them melted down and there was a lot of radioactive water released into the Pacific.
0: Yeah, and that was something that was very scary for Japan and also for neighboring countries. So after that incident, not only China, but also South Korea, Taiwan and Hong Kong all stopped importing seafood from Fukushima, but not from the whole of Japan, just from the area directly where the meltdown
2: happened. That's right. And I think maybe the EU had a ban as well.
0: Yeah, that's correct. The EU also had a ban on Fukushima seafood, which they lifted in July this year. And the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that that decision was based on science, based on evidence and based on the IAEA assessment.
2: What's happening in Taiwan now around this issue?
0: So in Taiwan, it was also controversial at times, the idea of whether we wanted to import food from Fukushima or not. The food was banned. Back in 2016, when the government was discussing lifting the ban, there were some protests, but they tended to be small and quite partisan. Usually they were led by the KMT. There are some news clips from the time where you can hear protesters saying things like, if We eat this food, we're going to become Godzilla, we're going to have deformed eyes and noses. And they say things like President Tsai Ing-wen is selling Taiwan to Japan. But again, over time, opinion changed. And by 2022, public polls showed that the majority of Taiwanese supported lifting the ban, especially because they saw that the rest of the world was lifting bans. And also because they hoped it would help with Taiwan's access to the CPTPP, which is the new version of the TPP. It's basically a trade pact that Taiwan is not part of. But in order to be part, of it, you need to adhere to free trade practices.
2: Wow, well, Alice, it's really interesting to hear uh, what the response has been in Taiwan. It's sort of like the Earth 2 version of China.
0: Yeah, because as neighboring countries in the EU have been removing their bans on Fukushima seafood, that really brings out the contrast with China's decision, which is to ban all Japanese seafood since the wastewater has been released.
2: It's interesting because, you know, since the meltdown, TEPCO had been doing an awful lot to clean it up and make the plant safe. It's a huge task. They've had to deal with these damaged reactors, and they've had to deal with all the water that's been used to cool it. It's a million tons of water, which needs to be pumped over the next 30 years. That's about the equivalent of 500 Olympic-sized swimming pools.
0: I mean, it would be a lot to keep holding in Japan if they didn't have a way to deal with it.
2: Yeah, One question China has had, in fact, the man in the CGTN, Guitar Fish Video, raised this question, why don't you build more tanks and just store it? Japan has answered that at great length in a document they filed with the IAEA explaining the constraints about why they can't do that, why that would not be safe. They have answered all these questions for anyone who wants to hear the answers and debate them in good faith.
0: Yeah, and after all of this deliberation and trying their best to find the safest way to deal with a very messy problem... They have decided, and experts have agreed, that releasing wastewater in this way is the least bad option.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Japan's government has been talking to the governments of other countries, trying to allay their fears. And they've pretty much all come around. Although South Korea has left in its ban on Fukushima seafood, it has not opposed the plan to release. And there was a dramatic moment when Japan's Prime Minister Kishida Fumio even ate some Fukushima sushi in front of the press. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's the only part I understood. But my colleagues tell me that he's saying it's chewy, but that's what makes a difference. And then he says, it's delicious.
2: But the thing is, when Japan has tried talking to China about it, China has not wanted to take any meetings. Japan has offered sit-down sessions with technical experts, and China is just not interested.
0: Yeah, and I recently saw that apparently Japan also invited China to be part of this extra monitoring network so that they could assess the IAEA and Japanese government assessments, kind of be part of another network that's offering an extra layer of accountability, but China also turned that down. So China is making a very big deal about it's not safe, you're not discussing this with others, but when they're actually invited to discuss or to even monitor what's going on, they don't want to participate.
2: Yeah, I saw that reported by Kyoto. I was able to confirm that with my own reporting. They are not interested. They decided that they're not interested in that kind of dialogue.
0: But what they are interested in at home is kind of fanning the flames of this angry reaction.
2: Yeah, they really jumped into it from government spokespeople and from government media. And we heard how people react to it. There have been calls for boycotts. We've heard reports of rocks being thrown at Japanese schools. A brick was thrown at the Japanese embassy in Beijing. A Japanese consulate in Qingdao had some graffiti written on it. Harassing phone calls made to Japanese companies and Japanese households. People who own shops that stock Japanese products have even been targets. People who drive Japanese-made cars are often yelled at or threatened. Even if your Japanese Honda happened to be made in Guangzhou.
0: Yeah, even if your Japanese car was made in China, or maybe you're a Chinese driver of a Japanese car or a Chinese shop owner selling Japanese products. I mean, this is kind of what happens every time that the Chinese government stokes up anti-Japanese anger, right? A lot of innocent people get targeted.
2: Right. Last time this happened, I happened to drive a Honda and was advised by someone who said, you better be careful here. He gave me a A4 size Chinese flag and said, you better keep this handy and put it in your window. Mm. And a lot of drivers of Japanese cars now do have flags or bumper stickers saying how proud they are to be Chinese.
0: So, Ted, that's the kind of anger on the streets that we're seeing. But what kind of economic impact is this going to have?
2: Well, clearly it could be very bad for Japanese business. The Japanese government are trying to do something about it. They said in early September that it's setting up emergency relief funds for Japanese seafood exporters. It's a fund worth over 20 million yen. That's about $141 million. That's on top of $550 that it had allocated to deal with reputational damage of the wastewater release. But it's not just the seafood business. A lot of business that used Japanese goods, makeup brands, and fashion brands. Travel is another big sector. Japan is a popular tourist destination for Chinese travelers. And there are a lot of reports that Chinese people are canceling their plans to visit Japan in the upcoming Golden Week holiday, which starts 1st of October.
0: Yeah, I've seen some of those things online, including lists of Japanese makeup products to boycott.
2: And I've seen posts asking whether uh, nuclear contaminated water goes into the production of makeup. Is this something you want to put on your face? if it's made near Fukushima and uses the water. Mm. (laughs) I saw an official response noting that seawater is typically not used in the production of cosmetics.
0: Wow. I guess everyone's being extra paranoid.
2: And of course, the economic impact could spill over to the Chinese seafood industry. In China, retail live streaming is a very big business. A lot of seafood live streamers are getting abused.
0: Wow. And is that because they're selling Japanese seafood?
2: No, not always it's just because it comes from the sea and people are now afraid that the sea has been contaminated. so people are even worried about seafood sourced in Chinese waters. Mm. so Alice, here's uh, another video. this one is from Doyin of seafood retail live streamers who are reacting to all the abuse that they've been getting from people online. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, wow. So, I mean, you see these live streamers, and they're wearing these like yellow apron things, and they have buckets of squid or shrimp or other kinds of seafood in front of them and then this fake background of a shit behind i guess this is how they usually sell their seafood but they're really distressed like you see these two young women and this woman is like do you want me to sell this or not like do you want me to have any business i'm not here to fight i haven't offended anyone and you can tell that basically they're upset because they're getting harassed by chinese netizens who can be really vicious and they're getting lots of angry comments that are like this is poisonous fish or whatever it is but You can see that they're quite distressed. And again, these are Chinese seafood sellers and their business is being hurt.
2: Yeah, it's hurting people and scaring people and it's affecting their livelihoods.
0: So we've really seen how the party has manipulated this story inside China and used people's natural worries. But why has China's government wanted their reaction to be so extreme?
2: Well, Alice, I think it has a lot more to do with politics than it does with health and science.
0: And that's what we're going to explore next. We'll be discussing what is the Chinese government gaining from all this. But first, we want to remind listeners that you can read Ted's reporting on the Fukushima water over on our website. You'll also find there a story that I've written with our colleague James Miles on the Belt and Road Initiative, which we'll be talking about on Drum Tower soon. But if you want to read our articles, you will have to be a subscriber. If you are already, thank you. You're the reason we can do our reporting and podcasting. And if you're thinking about becoming a subscriber, then Drum Tower listeners can get a free 30-day digital subscription. Just go to economist.com slash drum offer.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
0: So, Ted, why do you think the Chinese government is doing all of this? What do they stand to gain from stoking all this public anger about the Fukushima water?
2: Well, Alice, I don't think the party is doing this because they're genuinely concerned that this water is dangerous. I think it's being driven by politics. The -the over-the-top response has two things behind it. It's a way of distracting people from all the big problems in the economy
0: Yeah, that's something we've talked about quite a lot on Drum Tower. The economic slowdown, youth unemployment, lack of consumer confidence, the post-COVID recovery that really wasn't as good as many had hoped it would be. So Fukushima could be a very useful distraction from that.
2: Yeah, it's a perfect outside villain. And Japan is the perfect target. This awareness of Japan's evil history, which is a valid take on Japan's history in China. It happens in school from the earliest levels of the education system kids are taught about what japan did and how china must never forget and it's in the cinema it's on tv shows it's in the news japan is a very handy villain it's usually on a slow boil and then when some distraction or rallying around the flag is in order you turn up the heat and japan is the perfect target for that
0: Yeah, we've also talked about this on Drum Tower before in our episodes on China and Japan, how Japan is the easy target of nationalist anger, but also about how ties between China and Japan are particularly strained right now because Japan's policies towards China are getting more and more aligned with America's.
2: That's exactly right. Japan has been increasing its military spending. It's announced plans to increase it even more. It is becoming more closely aligned with the U.S., on potential scenarios involving Taiwan. A lot of the beefing up that Japan has done has been in Okinawa and the island regions in the far southwest of Japan, the bits that are closest to Taiwan, and that has really caught China's attention.
0: Yeah. And also, I think something else we're seeing is just that there is this very powerful undercurrent of distrust towards Japan in Chinese society, right? And it's kind of like, no matter how many assurances the Japanese government gives, how you know they bring in the IAEA, they publish all these scientific answers to everyone's questions, it's very easy for Chinese people to not believe them.
2: Yeah, that's very true for all of the old historical reasons and more recent history. At the time of the Fukushima accident in 2011, a lot of alarming information came out about corruption, how industry and regulators were hand in hand, mismanagement, incompetence, dissembling. So there is some basis for distrust. But there are all these special factors that make Japan in a situation like this a very handy target.
0: So, I mean, skepticism is healthy and reasonable, and it exists across Asia. But I guess in this case, China really stands out because the state has weighed in to amplify the skepticism and to suppress any of the answers to those skeptical questions.
2: Exactly right. And there's another geopolitical factor involved. South Korea and Japan have long had a very troubled relationship for similar reasons. Japan was a cruel colonizer and all of the 20th century history that makes people in China so angry, a lot of that was replicated in South Korea. But recently, Japan and South Korea have been moving closer to each other and to the United States, which is a development that China does not like to see.
0: No, I mean, it's quite historic that they've come together, right? Just last month, President Biden was able to bring Japan and South Korea together at the Camp David summit. I'm sure that's something that the Chinese government is not happy about.
2: Absolutely. They said as much. And so this issue is perfect. If there are people in South Korea angry about the same thing that people in China are angry about, it's a perfect issue to drive a wedge into this newly improving South Korean-Japanese relationship.
0: But there's also been some domestic politicians inside South Korea who have been whipping up a lot of alarm about the Fukushima wastewater as well, right? Ted, what do you think that's about? Is it because they are also genuinely concerned about safety or is it more of a political tactic?
2: Yes, there is an opposition that is making a lot of hay over this issue. The government is trying to ease fears. The opposition is whipping them up for their own reasons. There are elections coming up next year in South Korea.
0: Yeah, but I think what's different about South Korea, again, is that there's that distrust, but you can have a real conversation about it. So you can have the, you know, like, don't trust Japan. Look at everything they've done in the past. This is not safe for us. But you can also have other voices pointing out facts uh, about what the scientists and experts are saying. And it's a real conversation. It's not just a an outpouring of anger where one side is being silenced.
2: Yeah, exactly. It seems like there are excited voices in South Korea. They're being heard. The calmer voices, the more measured voices are being heard. Everyone's allowed to get their say in and everyone's allowed to read what they want to read about it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, when China is riling up its population like this, I mean, this time it's about Fukushima wastewater, but There's been other instances, you know, when everyone got very angry about Xinjiang cotton or when everyone got really angry about an NBA manager making a statement in support of Hong Kong protesters. Oftentimes the Chinese officials and state media and social media will coordinate together and whip people into a frenzy of anger. When they do that, does the Chinese government think that it can really influence outside actors' behavior?
2: It can in indirect ways. By whipping up the Chinese public, Chinese public anger then comes to the attention of foreign governments, sometimes in very direct and threatening ways when Japanese feel threatened just walking around being heard speaking Japanese around China. So it does have this sort of indirect two-step effect. And it's had a great impact on the behavior of, I would say, companies more than governments. When a Chinese internet outrage emerges over some company who puts Taiwan on the map as a country or lists Taiwan in a pull-down menu on its website as a country, those companies are very quick to go back and correct it. No, Taiwan is an entity. It's not a country. It's a territory. It's a region.
0: Yeah. Apologize.
2: Right. So companies are very quick to respond. Government's a bit less so.
0: So, Ted, I mean, I think the Chinese government knows that Japan is not going to change its plan. They've already started to release the treated Fukushima water, and they're going to do it for the next 30 years. Is the party going to keep up its anti-Japan campaign for that long as well?
2: It can not keep it up at that level of intensity. Everyone knew from the beginning that it couldn't. It's just another one of those examples of how China so totally controls the information environment and can create a stir when they want. It's quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, it's almost like they have a little volume dial and it's like, be angry at Japan. Okay, actually, don't be so angry. Okay, be angry again. (laughs) Like they can turn it when they want. And in fact, I think there are some signs that suggest that they might be starting to dial it back a little bit. I saw this op-ed that was published on the People's Daily website, and it was about Japan's release of Fukushima water. And it was saying, you know, Japan is doing wrong. You know, they shouldn't be doing this And yet, at the same time, we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we are rational and not radical. We should not boycott all seafood because that would hurt ourselves. And also, we should beware of people with sinister motives on the internet telling you to go to the streets because they might just be trying to cause instability and chaos. So you can kind of see hints that maybe the Chinese state also doesn't want Chinese people to go so far to the point where they're harassing their own seafood sellers or talking about protesting on the street. That's never something that the party wants.
2: Yeah. And there are clear signs here on the ground. You can see it's dying down a bit. The reporting is a lot less excited. It's still a big topic of conversation, but it's not the sole dominant topic that it was for the first two weeks, which is how these things go.
0: Yeah, and it's so easy for them and so effective because they don't have to compete with any other narratives, right? Like, Ted, earlier you said that when you tell Chinese people South Korea's government actually backed this decision on Fukushima, they're very surprised. And that's because in the Chinese information world, all you see is like, oh, China's leading the charge against Japan's unjust actions and lots of other actors in Asia also agree,
2: And in a lot of cases, it's an issue where people don't have direct access to reliable information and maybe not even that much skin in the game when it comes to things like the real history of Tibet. People know what they've been taught and know what they've heard, and they are not motivated and not easily able to go access other forms of information. They do know that the party is pulling their leg when it says inflation is under control or whatever they might say. People are like, no, I go and buy cabbage three times a week. I know the price of cabbage. Don't kid me about cabbage. Mm. But the history of Taiwan or Tibet or the safety of a Japanese nuclear water release is not something they can investigate on their own. And they hear what they hear and really take it on board.
0: Yeah. I think that's really what's interesting about this case to me is that it's not really about China's worries about the safety of that water, but it's about how they can manipulate information to create public opinion and then use that as a tool for political purposes. And it's actually something that's also very irritating to me because I find it very manipulative because a lot of Chinese people might be saying, well, this is my real honest opinion. I am really angry. I am really worried about this. But it's unfair that their reactions are being shaped by the state's control over the amount of information they can get. And sometimes they might not even realize that. It's a manipulative way for the state to treat its own people.
2: Yeah, it's a little infantilizing and patronizing, but it's the way it's been done for a very long time. It's a model that they seem to like.
0: Yeah, and we'll probably be seeing the next example of it sooner or later.
2: Something will come up for sure.
0: Ted, thank you so much for joining me on Drum Tower. It has been great to have you here.
2: Oh, it's been great to join you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Drum Tower, especially to those who have sent us emails. So a big hello to Jeff, who is working on a permaculture experiment in remote Lac Bouchette near Quebec. And a big ni hao to four-year-old Anna in Los Angeles who listens with her dad Thomas, and we heard that Anna is learning Chinese. So <laughs> hello to Anna to Tim in Shanghai who listens while he sends complaint messages to his own phantom driller in his building. And thank you to a listener named Garrett who told us that he actually was born in Panjihua, which was a subject of our episode last week. Garrett told us about how he grew up in this hot, dry, acrid river valley. And there was smoke and dust from the steel factory covering everything. And we're just so happy that we were able to have an episode that resonated with his childhood memories so remember you can always email us at drum at economist.com and before we go i also wanted to say a big thank you to our producer barclay bram this is his last episode of drum tower he has been with us since the beginning he has found a lot of the amazing historical archive of those clips you hear from old bits of news and chinese history he's also shared a lot of personal cooking tips which we really appreciate and also photos of his gardening and we will miss him very much our editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Jie Hao Chen produced this episode. Sound design is by Ting Li Lim, and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.